Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 157. My guest on this episode is Parker Cootie, part of that young nucleus on the Texas Longhorns golf team that includes his twin brother, Pearson, Travis Vick, Will Thompson, and Cole Hammer. I know it must feel like a lifetime ago, but the final tournament of the collegiate season, before it was interrupted by the coronavirus pandemic, was the Southern Highlands Collegiate in Las Vegas. USC won the team title, but Parker Cootie came from seven shots back, caught Yushin Lin on the 18th hole to force a playoff, which he ultimately won. What does he get for winning such a prestigious collegiate event? An exemption into the PGA Tours Shriners Hospitals for Children Open at TPC Summerlin. So he definitely has that to look forward to along with the restart of collegiate golf. Now, this episode was recorded before the U.S. Amateur. We chatted about his win at Southern Highlands and his experience playing at the University of Texas. Remember, they were the runners-up to Stanford at the National Championship. Before we get to this episode, remember, please keep sharing the back of the range with someone that you think would enjoy listening to these episodes. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. I have some merch coming in soon, so I'll make sure that everyone knows when it is available and how to purchase it. Lots of great guests coming up in the next couple weeks. We have the U.S. Open and the Masters on the way, so don't worry. I've got you covered with some unique episodes that I'm sure all of you will enjoy, and perhaps some surprises along the way. So, quick intro this week. Let's get right to the episode. Parker, welcome to the back of the range. How are you? Good. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, I mean, friend of the podcast, you know, when I put clips of different episodes up on Instagram, there's always uh, there's always a, a Parker Cootie viewed this and, and or Pearson Cootie <laughs> viewed this. So I feel that it's uh, it's catching on at, at Austin. But well, I'm going to really I'm going to really put you in a, in a tough spot right off the bat. So another person that follows this podcast is Debbie Cootie, your mother. Now, uh. we, now <laughs> we can go in two directions here. You can go the one direction where you say how. Uh, you know, she's been so instrumental in your success in golf, or you can, since we're kind of embarrassing her on this episode and you know, she's listening to this at some point, you can give a mom story of how, you know, maybe she kind of embarrassed you on the golf course at some point in, in your career. So you could take this in any direction you want to go. We'll go with she's been instrumental. It'll be oh, nice. Wow. Look at uh, that. I, she has a social media presence that the, my <laughs> The Texas team likes to make fun of, but uh, she has been very instrumental to both Pearson and I, and couldn't thank her enough. I know, I know, she loves keeping up with, I mean, all of our content as far as our play and stuff. But I know she likes listening to Bag Range podcasts and everything going on. So it's now it's funny that she you see that. So she is uh, she's the team mom, you'd say. Very yes, no. That's awesome. So tell me, uh, you know, we're recording on July 22nd. I'm kind of letting everyone know when we record, because obviously with COVID, a lot of things change and things go crazy. So let's talk a little bit about your summer. I mean, you're no stranger to competitive golf. A lot of success in Texas as a junior. You're now in your 
sophomore, your sophomore season uh, just cut short at the University of Texas along with your brothers. But uh, tell me a little bit about, I guess, what your summer's been like, what things have been like leading up to the summer so you can stay sharp with some pretty important golf tournaments coming up in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously our season got cut short. And when quarantine first started, I mean, I didn't really do anything for a month. I mean, I grinded on school, but golf wasn't priority because, I mean, all the tournaments had been canceled and we were getting emails saying, uh, this tournament may happen, this tournament may not happen. Oh, and then all of a sudden, tournaments are actually started getting canceled. So, I mean, leading up to Southern, Southern Animal was my first tournament and it was at my home course, Merido. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it, it was different for sure. I mean, I had, I played the Meriden, uh, the Samaritan Fund, which those went well, but it felt like an actual tournament, but it wasn't amateur golf, which right. obviously that's what I'm playing right now. So it was just, I mean, I mean, I was, I was just talking to somebody before I got on this and I was telling them first, first tee shot of the Southern, I was, I was actually like, nervous again, like, like, okay, good. We're finally going again. We're here. And then, I mean, obviously I didn't, I didn't play the way I wanted to, but it was still such a good feeling to be able to compete again. I mean, we four months since Southern Highlands to that point. So, and you know, it's funny you talk about being nervous for the average player, you know, the average guy that, that, or woman that, that plays at their, their club or public, you know, muni golf or whatever it is, they are more accustomed to the casual round, you know, two off the first, you know, Oh, pick it up. That's good. It's three feet or, Oh, you know, just, you know, drop another ball. And they're used to that where if you put anything, maybe nerve wracking or any pressure situation, they really don't want that. I'm guessing you and a lot of your contemporaries are completely opposite. If you're playing casual golf at some point, you're like, look, this is, this just isn't fun. I need, I need the juice. I need something. Right. No, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, I know Pierce and I, we would get bored playing just whatever golf. Like if we went and played, had a quote unquote, like fun round of golf with me, my dad and uh, Pearson, it was like, don't get me wrong. It was fun, like good right. family time, but it's, it's just not the same. I mean, we're lucky we play at Merido where there's a ton of players and everyone's extremely competitive and, we're able to get some good games where we can put pressure on each other, but there's just nothing that can compete the tournament and be able to have a chance to like actually win something that you've been thinking about for so long. Right. It's just, and you want it. You want it so bad. And that's, I mean, that's just what the part that makes you nervous. Now, you mentioned you weren't exactly ready to go or you didn't, or you weren't exactly, you didn't play your best at, at, um, at the Southern at Merido. Typically, what is it? What's your prep time to get ready for an, an elite amateur tournament? And I know it's kind of odd. You had all that time to, to do it when there's nothing going on, but still you can't get out. You can't play the kind of rounds you need to play when you're trying to get prepped for like, you know, uh, you know, I know you're playing in the, uh, in the Western amateur coming up and you're playing in the U S amateur. What's a typical time that you need to ramp up and get ready so that you're peaking from past experience. I would say probably about, two or three weeks but i mean you're probably playing tournament before that right where last year obviously this year's totally different in your preparation the way things are going but given like last year come off ncas you got that two-week period i went and played monroe kind of rusty and then played well in northeast and i was i was kind of just playing i wasn't winning last summer but i was definitely like just playing consistent golf right versus i didn't have that turn i mean 
a tournament prep is huge. I mean, anyone can sit on the putting green, hit balls forever, do whatever. Right. And and obviously, guys went to Southern Am and they were ready to go. And uh, McClure Meisner, he won. Like, I mean, shot six on the final round, ready to go. So I think it's just different for everybody. I mean, personally, if I were to say I would like a tournament or two under my belt before I played big amateur event, which college does that. College keeps you playing all year, which really is nice. Keeps that don't get too rusty and kind of just keep going. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about since you're bringing up college. I mean, you know, I've spoken with other collegiate players. Actually, just had uh, Coach Michael Beard from Pepperdine on the podcast recently. And he was, you know, he was, he said something really interesting. He said the competition in the qualifiers. To, to make the starting five is so intense that when that final five do get onto the tournament site, it's almost like it's such a different relaxing experience where they know they've put the work in and they can go play. And it seems like it's less pressure. I mean, I don't want to misquote or put words in his mouth, but it, it sounded to me like he was talking about five guys that, that are like on a golf trip. And no, he, he's totally right. I mean, I mean, qualifying's and, intense especially i mean the way coach fields does his qualifying if you top 10 you're in the next week or if you win you get three weeks but you go have one off week you go home and say say two guys are and say pearson and cole are in the tournament i mean last year my freshman year this happened decent amount say pearson and cole were in the tournament and i would come back austin and i was like all right here we go like gotta get ready again this week we're we're qualifying because i don't know if i'm teeing it up again next week right so, I mean, but then exactly like you said, like you get to the tournament and we get to play such nice courses and nice places. You get to the tournament and you're like, you're relaxed and you're like, oh, this is nice. Like you can just play golf and what happens, happens. Yeah. And, no, he's, I totally agree with Coach Beard. It's, it's, well, and you guys just have some absolutely heavy, I mean, you just got heavy hitters on your team where, you know, you got Cole Hammer and, and you and your brother and Travis Vick and, and it seems like you just have this very you have a young team as well. I know that uh, I know Will Thompson's in, in several of your uh, starting rotations. You know, is how do you balance being on a team and you're obviously all rooting for each other, but you know you don't want to be that sixth guy that's in study hall uh, or or at. I mean, hate to say it, but you don't want to be at a class. I, I, we'll edit. No, no. We'll, we'll edit this out to protect you, Parker. But you don't want to be in class when you know, Cole and, and your brother are in Hawaii or in Vegas. Right. No, I missed, I missed two tournaments my first semester of freshman year. And I missed the one at Isleworth and the one at Colonial. Colonial being close to home, oh, my granddad yeah. being able to go out there. I mean, those two ate at me. And <laughs> Coach, Fields each, Coach Fields each time came back and asked me how it felt. Oh, and I would tell him, what a, I tell him every time, like, Coach, you know it's the worst feeling. He's like, I know, and he'd tell me, don't do it again. <laughs> and so I did it again after Colonial for hours, which, I mean, was fine. Like, I, I mean, it's worked out, but I don't plan on doing it again. It's, 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 it's the worst feeling. Now, I'm sure that when your teammates are at the tournament and you're back home, they're not texting you pictures of golf courses or texting you where they're staying or showing you any, they're not doing that at all to rub it in. Right. Well, I, I have a really loving brother, so he is doing that. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Man, <laughs> terrible, terrible. I know it's bad. 
Well, I, I'd love to say hopefully you can get them back, but we don't. You don't want that. That's not going to help the team. So we. No, I exactly. Yeah. All right. So let me. I really want to talk about Southern Highlands. You picked up your first collegiate win last year. This was, I think, this was either the tournament right before after right before COVID hit. Um, so this was probably one of the last collegiate tournaments that was played last year. So yes. I, I don't want to take you through the entire. Uh, as much as I know you'd love to walk through the entire experience, I mean, you shoot 73, 68, 67 to get into, uh, you get into a playoff with, uh, Yushin Lin and you win that in the next playoff hole. So we've, we've given everyone the kind of, you know, 50, you know, 50,000 foot view of what happened. You won, you get your first individual title. USC did win the team title, but I wanted to ask you 18th holes, a par five. I'm just going to set it up a little bit for the listeners. The 18th holes, a par five. You're one down. You need to basically pick up a shot to get into a playoff. So, which you did. You made a a closing birdie on 18. But this is a par five. This is the age where everyone thinks maybe a collegiate player is just going to pull driver, bomb it, go forward in two. I know that's a lot of what we see on the PGA Tour. Whether it's you know you know there's Bryson or Finau or or anyone, pick them. They're all bombing it, but you didn't necessarily play the hole that way and it still paid off for you and you did what you needed to do. So for people that are listening that maybe don't have the best course management or don't stick to their guns, can you walk us through that 18th hole? That's a kind of tight 18th hole where or you hit it up the left side with a three wood or so, but those waters, it is a reachable par five. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Guys were going for it and stuff, and the final round, the pin was back, back right, kind of in this little—it's a shelf on the green. The greens were very fast, a little wind out there, and very firm. But no matter where you're hitting from into that green, the greens kind of tilted away from you. And I had about 285, and I could hit three with there. I could get it there, no problem, and put a little height under it. But just there's no way to hold the green. I had to hit a perfect shot to just end up in the back bunker. Or if I pull a bit, I have a 40-yard bunker shot to carry it onto a shelf that's 15 feet long. And if I hit it long of the pins, instant bogey, and I'm coming up short, then I'm going to be kicking myself. Like, So, I, I mean, I laid up – I feel like inside 100 yards, I pretty good for me. And I laid up to 65 yards and – okay. Skip, skipped it up the hill to a few feet and I knew I had to make birdie so made birdie and went on to the playoff and the rest is history so you were out there being a, a volunteer assistant coach Richie Coglin was what with you during regulation I mean this guy has all the creds that that you'd want I mean he's a he's a walker cupper for GB&I in 97 and and he's you know he's played in the PGA Tour he's played on the European Tour and it's interesting. You said 65, 65 yards. Normally, us, you know, amateurs don't think of people laying up to that number. They think of that as the half wedge number that most people are uncomfortable with. So, I guess, did you, is that really is that a number that you wanted? And why did you want that number? Is that something you're practicing back in Austin a lot? Yeah. No. I mean, that's the exact number I wanted. I wanted anything from sixty to seventy yards. Uh, and Austin, Coach Fields set a little sand pit starting at about, you can move anywhere on the range, but starting from 20 to 100 yards. 
And I mean, every day on the range, I start off with that. And then we're fortunate enough to have a track man. And I do the wedge test and always testing my wedges. So when I was talking with uh, Coach Coglin, we were out there and we were talking about going for the green, but there's, like I said, there's just no good spot to put it. So like, we're going to lay it up and I'm going to pitch it out there. We're going to make birdie and we're going to go on. Okay. And I laid it up to exactly where I wanted to with a five iron and played the low skipping pitch back on the top shelf and did exactly what we talked about. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this one. If you were in that situation maybe a year or two ago, do you think you're making that decision the exact same way? And I'm just asking about – I'm asking that because I'm curious how your course management and thought process changes once you go from junior golf and high school golf to playing at the University of Texas. I, I tell you that I probably would have gone for it. Okay. I mean, I my wedges weren't as good. My putting wasn't as sharp and – I would have thought, oh, I can get there. Might as well just go for it to par five. Right. And I mean, like you're saying, like, that's just the typical thought nowadays. Like, and stats do prove at some point that par fives are better to get closer to, but that's not always the case. Like, you have more to evaluate than just stats. Sure. So, uh, yeah, no, I'd definitely say two years ago, probably ripping at it and I'd make par. And I would have lost and have been frustrated, but luckily I matured a little bit. I had <laughs> I've had three coaches trying to nail it through my head for two years now, so <laughs> I think nice. it's finally coming along. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, I, there's a lot of, as you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of history at UT. A lot of names on that wall. Um, when you and your brother came in as freshmen. And your dad played at Texas. Your dad, you know, Kyle Cody played at Texas. You have you have the pedigree and, and the legacy of, of – did it take you too a while to, to for it to really sink in of what you got yourself into? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Texas is obviously a big D1 program. And, I mean, my first semester, Pearson took off, right, just going right down the road, doing exactly what he's supposed to do, play well, made tournaments. And I, I think I was a little – in a way like starstruck with okay like i'm actually here yeah and i had a little, little too much confidence in my game and i and it quickly like showed that i wasn't i was i wasn't as good as i thought that's a really good way to put it well that's, and yeah and so i got my teeth beat in pretty quick i mean cole and pearson were both playing well and we had other guys on the team i mean steamer shiboney and the senior at the time was playing well and yep. i mean I, if I made the tournament, it was like, okay, I just qualified for the tournament. And then you had the other guys really compete for winning the qualifier. So I think, I think just adjusting and getting used to it was a huge part of transition. Well, and then you guys make that great run where you get to the, uh, you get to the finals of the national championship and there's just a bunch of freshmen on a team that I think, you know, admittedly, I believe you'd, you'd stated somewhere else where you didn't have a whole lot of match play experience and, now you're thrust into you know, the ultimate match play experience, maybe except for for a U.S. Amateur or, or a Walker Cup, and I guess you got to learn pretty damn quick when you're when you're on that stage. And yeah, no, you <laughs> you either you either win or go home. I mean, there's you learn quick, but I mean, there was some match play experience, but I mean, I remember Pearson had like two or three matches under his belt, like in his entire career from just like. Texas Legends Junior Tour stuff. Right. And 
I remember uh, obviously Cole at that point Cole had had the most match play experience winning the Western and competing the USAM that year. And I mean, everyone was just saying like, all right, we got five guys on the team. We need three of us to go beat the other team. Like, and we'll just keep moving. And I mean, luckily that happened and we beat Oklahoma, then Oklahoma State. Shocking Oklahoma State was incredible. And I mean, wish we could have beat Stanford, but kudos to them for doing it and getting it done. I remember I've asked people about, I can't remember who I asked about this, but you were there when Boshu horseshoed that putt. Oh, yes. You coach, it was me and Cole right there and Coach Fields grabbed each of our shoulders like, we're playing for a national championship tomorrow. I'll never forget that. I was watching that. I was watching that putt live. I remember seeing the delay between when it horseshoed and then when you guys actually went out onto the green and started celebrating. It's literally, it looked like there was like a three second pause where nobody knew what to do. Oh, it, I mean, we all really liked Oklahoma State guys. And I mean, we knew how heartbreaking that was. And on the other hand, we were beyond excited oh, yeah. that we're playing for a national championship. It was such a I never felt an experience or been in an ex- experience like that where, I mean, everyone played a ton of rounds with Boshu and Hovland and Wolf and Edgro, everyone on that team. And all the Oklahoma State fans were all silent. And obviously the Texas fans started to cheer. The few that were there, they were trying to make noise because the Oklahoma State fans have been extremely loud all day. They, they are an excited bunch, aren't they? They they came out in masses to Arkansas, <laughs> and they were loud. I, uh, but, I mean, it's, it's no, exciting. Yeah. yeah, I talked to – well, you you probably – I mean, you know Davis Riley, and uh, yeah. I, I spoke with him, and he was on the sh- on the other end of that uh, victory that they that Oklahoma State had on their home course. And, I mean, he was he was very polite about it, but he was like, yeah, their fans are nuts. <laughs> Tell you the truth, when you get your name called, it's like, oh, hey – Good job, like way to be here. And then you hit an Oklahoma State guy gets called, and it's like you think you're in a super down about to tee off. He's like, okay, here we go. It's it's like uh it's like you know, like professional wrestling where they have like the 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 guy that nobody knows where there's like seven people cheering for the guy. <laughs> yes. And then, you know, uh the rock comes out and it's like, oh shit, really? I gotta You knew who the heavy favorite was. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, I, it sounds like you guys are really kind of making this. Uh, hopefully, make another run at that national championship. And and gosh, such a such a young team. And you know, it's funny you talk about um, you know all these great things with collegiate golf. I'm never going to ask a, an underclassman what their plans are as far as staying in school or leaving early and, <laughs> and all that stuff. I really am not. But it's just uh, listening to how much fun college golf sounds. Boy, unless you're just getting a hell of an offer, I mean, gosh, why would you ever want to leave? Shocks me. I I don't know why you would. I mean, it's <laughs> I'm I'm loving college, and I know these next two years are going to go by so fast. I mean, moving into our we, I just moved into our new house in Austin, and moving out of my last place, I was like, wow, I'm I'm halfway through college. This is yeah. just crazy to think about. Well, we're we're going to talk a little bit more about your teammates, but before we do that, um, you, you got the Western Ann coming up. You know, it's uh, just such a long, grueling tournament that's going to be. And then 
as with everyone else making the trip out to Bandon Dunes for the U.S. Amateur, you know, you and your brother had basically identical runs last year, you know, made it to the round of 16 before bowing out. But um, how, how have you and your brother really have thought about this U.S. Amateur? Well, where obviously you're going to be exempt regardless. You know, you made the quarter fight or the uh, round of 16, you're exempt, but there's no qualifying this year. This is going to be an incredibly strong field because, you know, there's no – there's no 16-year-old dreamer that that sneaks in on his home course. There's right. no, there's no 40-year-old guy that, you know, rode a hot putter and made it. These are all like the top 200 or so amateurs in the world. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's. I think it's awesome that it's going to be so competitive. I mean, the guys that make that round match play, they're obviously going to be playing good golf, and I, I mean, I hope I'm one of them playing on it, and then go from there and just got to beat the guy you're teaming up against so i think i think it's just gonna be awesome like how competitive it's gonna be i think everyone's gonna be so focused and ready to go too so what do you know about bandon dunes and about lynx golf uh the only thing i know about bandon dunes is it depends on the wind and then as far as lynx golf i mean i've talked to my granddad maybe a little bit about it my dad's told me a little bit about it and then other than that i played waterville when i was like 12 or 13 so my least golf knowledge is very limited <laughs> you, you just keep hitting it uh playing playing smart you should be just fine now this is this is probably a first you are in the middle of a golf interview where you brought up your grandfather before the person in my chair <laughs> did has that ever happened before um uh, no not not really not wow. i'm not thinking about it Man. i mean i normally normally don't think about it but i was just just thinking links golf and i'm like (laughs) who my family has links golf experience oh my gosh well that that gives me a slight opening but we're gonna do it in a different way your grandfather charlie cootie 1971 masters champion i'm sure i'm sure i can be bribed not to post the picture of you and pearson at age like eight in your caddy overalls (laughs) from the masters but i'll probably do it anyway but give me a good Give me a good Charlie Cootie story that is not necessarily golf related. We could look up all all of his achievements. That could be done. But as the grandson, give me a good story that maybe someone maybe maybe not know. And we can come back to that, and I can punch it back in. That that can be done if you'd like. So yeah, let's come. Kind of, you want not golf related? Yeah, I mean, just like a random, like just I guess you know you've probably been asked to give me the whole, like, what's he shown you on the golf course and, right. and, and what is, you know, you've been at the masters, but I was actually looking more for like, give me a good, just a grandpa story. Okay. You know, I can do that. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Cause you know, I thought that'd be a little bit, a uh, little bit different. Um, but we can come back to that. So I can, I can punch that in at a later time, but, uh, um, okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I'll punch this one back in too. So one of the highlights of, or one of the rewards of uh, winning Southern Highlands, as I'm sure you and everyone else knew as you were teeing it up, is that the individual winner gets an exemption into a PGA Tour event. So you will be returning at some point to TPC Summerlin in Vegas to play the PGA Tour, um, to play the Shriners Hospitals for Children Open. I know that must seem like a mile away, but um, gosh, wh- wh- where do you put that basically in your brain of like, okay, I know that's coming up. Do you even think about working on things for that? Does that even enter your mind yet? I'm, I'm still focused on getting ready for the Western and getting ready for the USM. And 
I think once the USAM ends, then it'll really hit me like, okay, about a month and a half to teen and up, like it's actually happening. So, but I mean, yeah, I think everything's just kind of working toward it. I mean, it's obviously going to be my first PGA Tour event, which is extremely happy about and fortunate enough to have that opportunity. So just, I, but I don't think my preparation needs to change. Like, I, I, I would hope not as far as my, my preparation doesn't change based on what tournament I'm playing and how much attention I give it. I feel like I should give each tournament the same amount of attention and respect as far as I want to go in there and do what I need to do. Sure. Sure. And you're probably not going to have any shortage of, of tour players that you can get a game with out there. Been since, since Merido is just full of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Davis and Will are both playing on, obviously playing great on tour right now. And then, you have a bunch of guys out there. I mean, you know, Tony Romo's out there. And he'll, he's one of the most competitive guys you'll ever meet. <laughs> I've heard so it's, many stories about him. At some point, yeah. I've got to get him because I just hear that he's just, he just will not go away. Uh, he, he He's persistent in everything he does. I mean, he, he wants to beat you so badly and he'll do anything in his power within his golf game. Don't get me wrong. He's not, a, he's, clean player but he'll do anything as possible in his way to beat you and the day he does it's not going to be pretty i hope it never happens well you're you know i don't think i'm i'm going out of bounds here but your your bankroll and pearson's bankroll is not the same as tony romo's i think that's a fair statement your amateurs your college kids and he's got some you know tv money and nfl money <laughs> that he's probably got stored away somewhere but i don't want to ask you what the necessary the games are like between you guys but there's got to be a time where the bet isn't just money. It's got to be like, oh, man, I got to say something or do something or I owe you a favor or whatever. I mean, how do you how do you manage games with not just Romo but other guys where money really just doesn't come into play? I think it's just such a pride thing. Like, uh, we do a lot of team games where Pierce and I will play against like, uh, Tony and his best friend, Mike Baldwin, member out there, and they're – both good players and or i mean whoever it is like uh, other junior golfers out there like randall foge he's a incoming freshman to ut or tommy uh, morrison he's a ut commit i mean there's so many guys out there that they just everyone just wants to beat each other and i think it's just good but I, without the money they're yeah the money is not a thing now i know morrison morrison follows the podcast too i haven't spoke to him is that is that kid really six foot eight He's all six foot eight. That's for sure. Good God, he's a big kid. Yeah, no, it, it, his brother's the same size. It's 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 incredible. And I mean, to tell you the truth, he's got a great pair of hands, and you just would not see that from how big he is until you actually watch him play. Oh my goodness, I got to see this kid hit a golf ball because I mean, well, yeah. you and Pearson are. I mean you have the athletic build. I mean, you guys look like you're, you're athletes first and then you can also play golf and Morrison's this, I mean, I mean, would you say that, I mean, I, I guess you and you guess Pearson, but really you're not, I mean, let's face it, the most athletic and physically imposing person on the university of Texas golf team, it's Cole hammer, right? <laughs> yes. All 150 pounds of him. There you go. I'm giving you the open that that's your cue. You can have as much fun yeah. as you want and tell a Cole uh, hammer story. Uh, now, now I Cole is obviously one of my good friends, but 
Good start. Nothing's better than, nothing's better than watching Cole work out. <laughs> it's, 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 it, he, I mean, don't, don't get it wrong. He gets after it in the gym as far as just, it's not the most impressive thing you're going to watch when you watch someone get after the gym. Oh my gosh. That's so good is that, because that statement, you really don't need to explain it just because the delivery is so perfect. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Well, no, uh, it's good. Yeah. Well, he's uh, he's his looks like he's really kind of coming into shape, and uh, he's he's. I know he didn't have the best uh, didn't have the best fall, but things are kind of coming together for him. I know he's playing uh, playing really well, so that that definitely bodes well for for UT. Well, Parker, this is hey as advertised. I knew this would be a great conversation, and you know, got a lot of great things going for you. Not only with uh, with re- hopefully returning to school as soon as possible and making a run at a national championship, and then. Got the Western, and then obviously the the big U.S. Amateur at Bandon. So I'm glad we caught up. Um, glad you follow the podcast. Um, glad you, glad your family follows the podcast, and we'll uh, we'll we'll do it again soon. I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. I enjoyed it. Thank you. And there you have it. Special thanks to Parker Cootie from the University of Texas for joining me on this episode. Don't forget, every single episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time for another episode here at the Back of the Range.